So thankful that you're here. Hope you're uh, in the Christmas spirit. Certainly you displayed the best part of the Christmas spirit. Last Sunday when you gave to the Meredith Foundation, you gave a grand total of $25,356. Thank you. There are a lot of children that will enjoy Christmas this year because of your great generosity. Well, there were four people on an airplane that was going down. There was the pilot, there was a politician, there was a preacher, and there was a Boy Scout. Well, the the engine's gone out and the plane's falling. The problem is they only have three parachutes. And so real quickly, the pilot grabbed a, a parachute and said, You know, I'm young married, I've got a few children, and obviously I'm the one that needs the parachute, and he drops out. The politician grabbed a parachute and says, you know, I'm the smartest man in America, I'm the only one that can save our country, so I've got to have a parachute and I've got to jump out. So it leaves the preacher and the Boy Scout. And the preacher finally looks at the young boy and says, you know, you know, I know Jesus, I'm in a saved relationship, if I die right now, I'm going to heaven you have the parachute. The Boy Scout said to the preacher, preacher, don't sweat it. The smartest man in the world just jumped out of the plane with my backpack. (laughs) Well, the point of the story is some people look really smart and they're not. And other people don't appear to have it together, and actually they're very wise. And and that brings us to our story today. Our point is about these wise men. You don't think people who follow a star are very smart. You don't think people who worship a baby have got it together, and yet we're going to see them come out of the heroes of the story. Let's go back to where we were last week, Matthew chapter 2. And this week as we read, focus in on these magi, these wise men. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for that is what the prophet has written. And then they quote the prophet Micah. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now pay close attention to verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary. Now, let's make a couple of notes here. They don't go to the manger. 
I'm, I'm sorry to mess up your Christmas cards. We messed them up enough last week with this bloodthirsty king and all these children that are murdered, not the way you expect Christmas. But understand here, Mary and Joseph have now moved into house. And the word here for the child is the word not for a baby, but for an infant. So the timing's a little different than what we normally anticipate. So on coming to the house, they saw the child, his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country in a different route. Well, there's three surprises that really stand out to me in this, this story you've heard so many times. Surprise number one, Jesus sought the Magi. Uh, when you think of who should be invited to celebrate the coming of God to the earth, you would never have guessed these guys. Well, who are they? They are pagan magicians. Why would God seek pagan magicians? We know a good bit about these. These guys are no dummies. They're, they're scholarly. Uh, they are uh, educated in philosophy and science and religion. And they're also magicians. And we're not talking about magicians like those that come to the Kiwanis Club and do a few tricks. We're talking about people who believe in sort of a black magic. And yet they're called. And on top of that, they're astrologers. Now, I don't know if you read the Bible closely, but the Bible does not affirm astrology. In fact, some of the harshest words in the New Testament are given to people who practice magic. You know, uh, Simon the sorcerer. Paul said to him, May your money perish with you. Elimus the magician, you're a child of the devil and an enemy to everything right. So you don't expect this. But note this. God uses the pagans' wrong belief system about astrology to draw them closer to him. Isn't that crazy? You see, astrologers believe that God revealed, him through the star, revealed himself through the stars. They also believe the stars would lead you to the future. The Bible completely contradicts that. But God is such an amazing God with such an amazing love for everybody, including these pagans, that he manipulates behind the scenes the things they believe to get them to a different place so they can encounter Jesus. I love 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord reigns throughout the earth to strengthen those who are fully committed to him. My friends, God's eyes continue to pan the earth looking for those who are committed to him. But this story takes it a step further. God's eyes pan the earth looking for people who could be fully committed to him. And they land on these pagan astrologer magi. And guys, this just fits the book we're in the middle of, the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, in the genealogy of Jesus, we got all these people who show up that you wouldn't have put there. You've got Rahab the harlot. You, you know, you, you've got Bathsheba the adulteress. And, and then as you go through the book of Matthew, you know, it's the Roman centurion that surprises Jesus with his faith. And by the time we get to the end of the book in chapter 28, We've been called to take this good news to all nations. It's a theme that starts from the very beginning. It even starts in the birth story that we got these lowly shepherds. We've got these brilliant magicians who are the people who come to worship Jesus. So, surprise number two. 
I think this may be even more surprising. Not only God seek them, but the Magi sought Jesus. How shocking that they follow the clues that God gives them to come all the way to Bethlehem to encounter Jesus. Now, please mark this. This is not an easy journey. This is not a short trip. They don't have a direct flight from Southwest. In fact, more than likely, they were from modern-day Iraq, Babylonia. The journey was probably 900 miles. The closest I could come to that is New York City. New York City is 893 miles from Montgomery. I've driven it before, driving straight, it's 18 hours. Now, what do you think about going on a camel with no interstates? I mean, this took months, guys. And these guys are willing to seek after Jesus. Now, why would they do this? I think there's something missing in them. Why would you go to that far? Why would they delve into astrology and magic? They know there's got to be more to life than what they're experiencing. And God sees them. Now, what's interesting about this story, guys, is the, the incredible contrast between the Bible scholars, the religious leaders, and the pagan magi. It's these guys who know Scripture the best, who know truth, and yet are so far from Jesus. And it's the guys who have very little truth who actually experience Jesus. Why? Because it takes a hunger. Oh, the point of this story is that the Magi seek Jesus because Jesus first saw them. You see, God is the one who always takes initiative. Jesus says, unless the Father draws you to himself, you will not encounter him. You must be drawn. And they are drawn, and they surprisingly respond. So you've got these scholars with all of this truth. You've got these magis with a hunch. These guys with a hunch are willing to travel 900 miles to encounter Jesus. The guys with all the knowledge won't travel five miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to see the king. So here's what I want to say to you today. If you're here today, like Jeremy said, just because it's the right thing to do, or maybe because someone dragged you here, and you look across this audience, especially in this dark, everybody looks so spiritual. <laughs> and they had their eyes closed praying, but they look so spiritual. And, and you look, and you think, you know, that couldn't be me. Yeah, I know she, she loves God, but do you know what I've done? Do you know what I believe? Do you know what I've practiced? Here's what I love about the birth story. The birth story says, this is for everybody. He is seeking you. So today, the reason you may be here, even though you didn't really plan on being here, maybe even want to be here, it may simply be that God is using the things in your life to bring, him, bring you to this point. So that brings us to surprise number three. The best advice in the Christmas story comes from none other than evil King Herod. What did he say? Go make a careful search for the child. That's the challenge. God's searching after you. Would you search after him? Let me give you four practical points of how you seek God. Number one, you seek him attentively. They were paying attention to what was going on around them. God was seeking them. 
and they saw the stars. Now, they could have missed it. They could have discounted it. They could have said, by by their belief system, this is absolutely crazy. We don't even like the Jewish people, more or less to go worship the king of the Jews. But they were paying attention. And I ask you today, because we're, we're probably the people, isn't this odd? The religious people are the most prone to not pay attention. Are you paying attention to what God is doing around you? Because I'm telling you, God is taking the initiative in your life. God's doing some amazing things in the world today. Andy Johnson's and his family's here with us today. I was talking to Andy about this message Thursday, and he told me, I said, man, what are some ways that God is working to draw people to him? And he told me stories I'd heard about the Muslim world, but about a particular Muslim named Mahdi. He was from Syria, and he began to have dreams. And this story's been told over and over about Jesus. I still think God does those kind of things. He's having dreams about Jesus. And so he, it, a part of the dream is that someone's going to tell him. And so he escapes Syria through Greece, ends up being a refugee in Germany. He's in a refugee camp where a missionary comes to preach some of those fertile ground in our world today. And the missionary tells him about Jesus and he puts it together with his dream, and he surrenders his life to Jesus. And not only that, he has already brought five Muslim families to Jesus. Can we applaud what God is doing in the world? Now, the problem with that story is that I hear that, and I think, I've never had that kind of dream. You know, you, you may not have been, some of you probably say, you know, I've actually heard God speak to me. I've, I've, never, I've not had that experience. I'd love to. But don't discount maybe the more subtle ways that God is drawing you. You see, God is always seeking to draw people to himself. One of his greatest tools is one of the tools we like the least, which is pain. C.S. Lewis said, pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. When you go through physical pain, emotional pain, relational pain, what obviously God is often saying through that pain is what you're putting your faith in is not enough. If it's your body, it's your relationships, it's your intellect, it's not going to keep you away. Maybe it's some event going on in your life right now. I was talking to an old high school friend today, and I remember this guy, and now I see his Facebook posts, and they're all full of Scripture and God, and I knew he wasn't that way in high school, and something had us communicating, and I said to him, I love your post. He said, you know, buddy, God kept doing, and there was this crazy story he told on Facebook about almost being shot on the Atlanta highway we were in high school, and I said, man, I would love to hear more of those stories. He said, man, God was doing so many things to get my attention, and forever I just didn't listen to him. Maybe it's a death of someone you love that's got your attention like nothing else. My friends, we as a church have have been a part of so many really difficult funerals this past year. If anything's gotten my attention, it's been that. Maybe it's a person God's put in your life who's encouraging. Maybe it's a scripture you can't get out of your mind. Maybe it's just one of those what we all call a God moment. You can't deny that God intersected with your life. Maybe it's because you're here today. Or maybe it's just this gnawing sense that something is missing. And let me say this. 
I think this year, this time of the year magnifies that sense. You, you see, because this time of the year is supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year. This is supposed to be the most joyful time of the year. This is the time you're supposed to enjoy family. This is the time. But you know what? If some of those things are not right, all Christmas does is magnify what's wrong in your life. Now, Here's what you could do. You can just make your mind up like so many. Okay, I'm just going to endure December. I'm just going to make it through it. Or you might go, God is trying to reach me. I, I know in my life, the moments where I am uncomfortable, when I'm by myself with no TV, no anything else, just uncomfortable, just me and God, are the moments I know there's something wrong in my relationship with God. Because if I'm walking with God, I love those alone moments. If I'm not close to God, they make me very uncomfortable. And so maybe God is nudging you. Maybe there's a feeling within you that instead of denying it, instead of just pushing through it, instead of just going to buy more stuff to get over it, you need to stop and go, you know what? I need to pay attention. God is seeking me. Number two, don't just seek him attentively. Seek him scripturally. You see, the star led the Magi to Jerusalem the word led them to Bethlehem. Let me say this very clearly. There are a lot of ways God reveals himself in the world. Miracles, nature, you name it. People. But you will never come to a full knowledge of God without diving into the word of God, okay? Because the word of God is not simply a revelation of the will of God. It's a revelation of of God. The wrong question when you read the Bible is, what are the facts? The right question is, what I learn about God? You say, okay, buddy, well, that makes no sense in light of the contrast you drew earlier between these guys and between the religious scholars because they knew the Bible. While Jesus nails this in John chapter 5, you have your Bible or your phone, look at John chapter 5, verse 38, man, he nails it. He says, um, you study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. Well, what's the problem? These are the very Scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So guys, you're not going to find God without the Word. But you're not going to find God in the Word unless you're looking for Him. The religious scholars' problem is they knew so much, but they didn't know God. They even knew the prophecy of where Jesus would be born and didn't even go. It's crazy. you got these pagan magicians who travel 900 miles to see Jesus. You've got these religious scholars who are quoting the Bible who won't travel five miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. And so I challenge you. Get in the Word not just to increase your knowledge, but for transformation. Get in the Word not to answer the tough questions or prove your theology. Get in the Word of God to know God. And guys, there's no portion of Scripture more revealing about God than the Christmas story. So I challenge you this Christmas, just open the Word of God and read the story. And ask the question, what does this tell me about God? So you seek Him attentively, you seek Him scripturally, and then you seek Him persistently. How many times could have the Magi given up? But they don't. They, they keep on going. I, I love the story of David Livingstone. He was a, a missionary to Africa. And his supporters back in England, 
were wanting to send some people to help him. And they wrote, have you found a good road yet? If so, we'd like to send some more men to help you. Livingstone cabled back. I do not want men to come only if there's a good road. I want men who will come if there is no road at all. My friends, if you're just waiting on God to fall in your lap, I'm telling you, he's giving you some signs, but you've got to respond. And, and, and you know, often we give up too easily. We live in an Amazon Prime world where we expect everything the next day on our doorsteps. And sad news, that's not the way spirituality happens. You've got to persistently seek him. If not, we compromise. We're okay with being religious without a relationship. We're okay with attending church, not worshiping. We're okay with Jesus being a part of our life and not being the king of our life. So if you gave up at some point, get back on your camel and seek him persistently. And this brings us to number four. Here's the good news. Seek expectantly. You see, the promise of Scripture is that you'll seek God, hands down, 100%, you'll find him. Listen to a few passages. First Chronicles 28, 9, Solomon says, If you seek him, you will be found by him. If you forsake him, he'll reject you forever. Jer- Jeremiah says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Jesus says, Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. You notice the intensity? You don't just go to town and ask about Jesus. You seek him. You don't just ask about him. You show up on his doorstep. And you don't just show up on the doorstep. You knock on the door. You ask, you seek, you knock. You don't give up. Now, here's the promise. You will find him. Don't don't, don't say to me today, well, maybe they'll find him or she could find him. No, no, no. Bible says, if you'll seek, you'll find. And, and here's the great news, guys. He will not disappoint. You know, the word that just, man, just leaped off the pages in this familiar story to me this week is that word, overjoyed. Isn't that a crazy good word? They were not just joyful. They were not just, they were overjoyed. Now, I love that because normally, the over words we use are negative. We are overpowered. Someone is overbearing. They're overlooked. Some of you this morning overslept. Yeah, you can walk forward in a minute. But the most used word in church today in the over category is overwhelmed. Well, I can't, I'm overwhelmed, I'm overwhelmed, I'm overwhelmed. What a, what a, but what a great turn on this. We can be overjoyed. It sounds like something we'd even turn into bad. I can remember people saying years ago, don't, you know, watch out for that group of people, man. They're getting too fired up about Jesus. Wouldn't you love to see it? Or someone go, you know, well, they're just, they're not living in reality. They are overjoyed. Wouldn't you love to experience that? And that's what he promises. That's what he gives. They are overjoyed. And so if you seek Jesus, you will never be disappointed. 
You see, what happens is Satan dampens our expectations. Even during this season, okay, I'll make it through it. Family's not going to be so hot. You know what I mean? It's going to cost me too much. I'm going to be in too much debt. Okay, all those things may be true. But if you find Jesus, you will be overjoyed. So this Christmas, seek him. Find him. Experience him. I want to show this um, great Christian piece called Light of the World. One of my favorite singers is Lauren Daigle. Dan shared this with me earlier this week. I thought, man, this tells this whole story better than I have. Watch this and be touched. I love that line repeated all through the song. The world waits for a miracle. The heart longs for a little bit of hope. And that may be exactly where you are today. And the good news of the Christmas story is that miracles still happen. And hope has arrived. And so today, what I want you to know is that God wants this for you more than you want it for yourself. That he is knocking at the door. He is seeking you. If God would seek lowly shepherds and intellectual astrologers, He wants every one of us. And today, if you find your life not being what it ought to be, and if even this season is magnifying the lack of hope that you feel, then why don't you come to Jesus? We're about to sing an awesome song about his love. It's a song that I didn't recognize till first service. will even redeem the word overwhelmed that you would be overwhelmed with his love. And if today, if you are overwhelmed with his love and you need to to let the church know that, if you need the prayers of the church, if this season has overwhelmed you and you need to be overjoyed and you need some prayers to get there, meet me up here right now as we stand and sing.